Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. What I pray for is a spirit of revelation. Lord, that we would hear and understand. That we would open our ears and be willing to hear what you have to say tonight. Lord, not what I have to say. Lord, we came to hear what you have to say. And so we pray tonight that we'll be open to you. Not like Isaiah prophesied of the people of Jesus' day when it said that their ears they had closed. Lord, we don't want to we don't want to heap to ourselves preachers having because we have itching ears, but we want to hear what you have to say. So I pray you open us to the word. Let us be clear in our hearts as we look at this tonight. I pray, Father, that we have we have that, that my mouth is filled with grace and that our hearts are filled with uh, your presence this evening. So God, I thank you and I honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Let me ask you this question as we start. Have you ever been under attack from the devil? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, okay. So now don't answer this question out loud. How do you know? What makes you know that you've been under attack from the devil? I mean, you might be under attack now, but what does that even mean? I mean, that's pretty Christianese to say, oh, I'm under attack. The devil is attacking me. So how do I know if that is that? Am I under attack with the, under, by the devil if, I, if, I, if, I, if my alarm clock doesn't go off and then I'm running late to work, I burn my hand on the stove trying to cook breakfast too fast, I put on two different colors of socks because I'm so flustered. I get out in my garage and the car doesn't start. And I finally get somebody to get me to work. I get to work and I get chewed out by my boss. Am I under attack? Does that mean I'm under attack? Or, Or maybe, I don't know, maybe, you know, I, I lose... and I just can't find it. Am I under attack? Does that mean that I'm under attack? I mean, does it mean I'm under attack when my closest relative and I get in a fight about the scripture? What is, how do I know that? Well, let me just, I'm going to see if I can answer the question here. It may not be what we think. This is Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. You understand, all of it starts just like that. Did God say? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Is Eve under attack? Well, I think the answer is yes. But was it because she was having a bad day? No, that lady's having a great day. I mean, every day is a great day for Eve. They live in paradise. Every day is a fantastic day. God comes and walks with them in the cool of the day. They talk to God every day. Adam is so smart, he can name all the animals. And she's probably thinking, now, Lord, if you let me do that, I might have done a better job than that. But she's not under attack at all. 
It doesn't seem like she's under attack. She's having a great day. Everything is going wonderful. But folks, this is a tremendous attack. She's being attacked by the devil, by this serpent who was sent specifically by the devil to attack her. I mean, imagine the situation for a minute. Do you think the snake looked sinister to her? No, he looked like a friend to her. If he looked sinister to her, she would have done like Moses did when he threw down his rod in the, by the, by the, uh, on the holy ground by the fire and it turned into a snake and the Bible says that Moses fled. If it was sinister looking, she would have run away. And she would have gone and got Adam and he would have got the big club and beat the fire out of it, which we all wish would have happened anyway. I mean, so, so the snake doesn't look evil to her. He doesn't even look like a bad thing. He looks like a good guy. After all, she's talking to it, and the weird thing is she's talking to it, and it's not, it doesn't seem like that's unusual to her. And I don't know how things exactly were, but somehow that was okay that the snake was talking to her. But that tells me that maybe the devil, when he comes to attack, doesn't come dressed in red with a pitchfork and has horns on his head and that long tail. Maybe that's not how he comes to attack. I mean, the devil comes... Looking like a friend. The Bible says he disguises himself as a minister of light. And so when the attack comes, it may not be your worst day, and it may not be that that's the attack. Okay, he, he looks like a friend here to her. I mean, sometimes the devil not only looks like a friend, but sometimes he'll use a friend to bring an attack. Sometimes he'll bring an attack using a friend who's quoting scriptures to you. That doesn't sound very good. That's what he did to Jesus. Remember, the devil came and, and Jesus kept saying, it is written, it is written. And finally the devil says, okay, well, I can play that game too. It is written. You know, you cast yourself off of this thing and the, the, the angels will catch you. You won't even dash your foot against a stone. So, Mr. Word Man, jump. Are you chicken? Do you really believe the word? Jump. I mean, the devil's pretty crafty at stuff like that. Sometimes he, if you don't understand the word, you don't understand what has God said and what else has God said and what has God not said. Because God didn't tell Jesus to jump. And he tells you to jump off your roof. You might, if you hear a voice that says that, you might try to figure out whose voice that is. Because if there's a good ladder over here, there's no need to jump. There's no need to do that. Anyway, let me get back to my subject here. He comes. We, we can't let Hollywood fool us into, into thinking uh, uh, what the devil is and how to perceive the devil. Okay, we have this idea that the devil is this evil, monstrous thing, and he comes totally different than that. All right? what, now, let's think about this attack. Here's what the attack is. 2 Corinthians 11.3 tells us, But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. There's the attack. The devil came and he beguiled her. That's how he attacked. I mean, that's, that's how he attacks you all the time. He beguiles people. That's his intent is to beguile. The word beguiled means to seduce wholly, to deceive, it, it, it comes from a word that means to separate one thing from another. What the devil was trying to do to Eve was to separate her from something. She had one job to do, 
don't eat that fruit. Now, she made up the part about don't touch it lest you die. But the Lord said don't eat it. I mean, the Lord, I actually think the Lord intended for them to touch it. I think he intended for them to harvest it and give it to him. But they just added what, what the Jews called fence laws. You know, they had these fence laws where the law was this, so they created another one to go around that just so you couldn't get close to it. You know, that'd be like if the Lord said, don't go to the movie, is what the churches used to say, don't go to the movie. And then you say, well, we can't even go on that street where the movies are. Because <laughs> we might get tempted to go in the movies. Okay. Well, so she just had this law that says, don't even touch it. You can't even touch it. So she had one job. She, what's the devil trying to separate her from, do you think? The Word of God. He's trying to separate her from the Word. That's, that's what he wants to do. It says... As a servant beguiled Eve through his subtlety. The word subtlety here literally means adroitness. Adroitness, the word means, uh, it means cleverness. It has to do with sleight of hand, trickery, to be adroit. So that's how he does it, craftiness, cunning. So he, he, he wanted to trick her. The devil's attack was deception. He wanted to deceive her. In other words, he's lying. It was a lie. The attack was not on her body. It wasn't what he was doing. He wasn't attacking her body. The attack was not on her house. It wasn't on her family. No, no. The attack was against her mind. That was the attack. And that was the Apostle Paul's concern for the Corinthians, that they wouldn't allow the devil to trick them through subtlety. That was what he was after. The attack today is still in our minds. The fight, and we've talked about this already, the fight is a fight of faith. That's what the scripture says. It says we fight a fight of faith. So that means that the fight is about what we believe. What we believe is very important, and the devil is doing everything he can through circumstances to get you to quit believing what you believe, if you believe the word. Now, if you believe all these other things that are going on around you rather than the word, then the devil's okay with that. But he wants to keep you. He wants to separate you from the word. All right. He, 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 he wants us to quit believing what we believe. In fact, he wants to get us to reason with him. That's what he did with Eve. He got her into a conversation and he tried to, he started reasoning with her, and she just went along with the reasoning. And he's reasoning. You'll never out-reason the devil. Just let me throw that to you. Because the devil's been around a long time. He is very adroit, and he understands human nature. And just to try to outsmart him and out-intellect him, you're going to be in trouble with it. It's through, he wants to corrupt our minds through deceit. The word corrupt here literally means to pine away, to waste away, to shrivel, to wither. In fact, it's, it's referring to the fact the devil comes again and again and again and again and again until you get weak enough to listen. And when you get there, he's got you. You know, you walk by the piece of cake. <laughs> No, I bind you, devil. I'm not eating that piece of cake. And then you go do something else. You come back by later. It's still there. No, no. No, 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 no. I bind you. Then you have to, you make reasons to go buy the piece of cake. <laughs> maybe, I'll, maybe I'll just smell it. I mean, it doesn't hurt to smell, right? It doesn't hurt to smell it. 
eventually you rationalize enough and you know you're going to have the piece of cake. All right? So he does that. It's over and over. The attack of the devil. I mean, he comes. He, he wants to lie to us. He lies and lies and lies and lies until you believe it. And you quit believing what the Word says. You know, you are, you are so beautiful. You should have been an actress when you were young. You've been so cheated. You've been cheated in life because you let your husband talk you into going to that little church years ago. <laughs> if you wouldn't have gone to that, you could have told him just to be quiet. You could have gone. You could have been an actress. You could be living in a mansion right now. You, 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 you are so good. If you keep listening to that, you'll become angry about where you are. And you will begin now to be attacked in that way. So the attack is not about your car, your job. It's, it, it's, it's the thoughts that accompany things. If the, devil, if the devil can get you to react to your car not starting, he, he's got you. A lady backed into me at Market Street the other night. Put a big gash in my car. And my first my first thing was I thought, what an idiot. But I stopped myself. I stopped myself. I got out of the car calmly. After I mean I've got insurance. She hit me with she's in a Lexus. I'm thinking she probably has insurance. And so I said, I said she said, I am so sorry. You know, she said, I, I usually, usually the back, it beeps when you get close to something. And I said, well, it didn't this time. And I said, and I, and I looked at her and I said, listen, I've never hit anybody backing into them, which I, as I'm thinking about right now, I did at church one day. I backed into a guy that was parked his car too close behind my Suburban. But, but thankfully I had insurance and it took care of him. Anyway, I said, I said, you know, I've never hit anybody, but, um, I've nearly hit somebody, so I mean, I think we all kind of sometimes do things just like that, you know. I don't want to be judged in this one. I don't want to just throw a fit and, and, and judge her and do all that because that's the way I'm going to get judged if I start doing that kind of stuff. And so she was very sweet, and I, she said, that's why I have insurance. I said, that's exactly right. I took a picture of her um, insurance thing, and, you know, then I thought, I mean, she, they have this new Lexus, and they have a, a, a Carrera, a Porsche Carrera, and brand new pickup, and I thought, oh, I think my back might hurt a little bit here. No, I didn't, I didn't do that either. I didn't do that. But that was not an attack of the devil. That was a lady making a mistake. The devil didn't attack me. I mean, if he did, it was a poor one, because the insurance is going to take care of it, and he didn't get to kill me or anything. So we have to understand what the attack is. The attack against Eve was against her thoughts. It was lies. There were lies being told to her, and by the way, those lies all have feelings attached to them. Feelings. And you know, the devil really went after it. Talked to her. In the end, it's like, you could be like God. And she's like, oh, honey, did you hear that? We could be gods. Because Adam was there, the Bible says. He was there with her. And so Adam said, well, I don't know. <laughs> but he ate it anyway. Because he knew what he was doing. So what, what should have happened here? Here's what the Bible says, James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. 1 Peter 5, 9, this is speaking of the attack when the devil's looking for someone to devour. Whom resist 
steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. We are to resist the devil. The word resist means to stand against, to oppose. How do you do that? How do you resist the devil? How, it's the same way every time. We resist him. Here's, we have to use weapons. There are weapons that we have that we can use. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. The fight is not a fist fight. The fight is not an emotional fight. It's not in my body. It's not from my mind. It's a different kind of fight. It's a spiritual fight. And the weapons are spiritual. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down, now here's what the weapons are for, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Well, now, I just can't believe we can capture every thought. The Bible just said we could. Would the Bible, would the Lord tell us we could do something that we can't? No, he can't lie. And if, if, if my circumstance disagrees with his word, then either I don't understand his word, I don't know what I'm doing exactly, but God is always right. So we have to understand, the spiritual is real. The spirit world preceded the physical world. It's very, very real. The spiritual weapons at our disposal are mighty as opposed to carnal or weak. We will never resist the devil in our flesh. Okay, We'll never outsmart the devil with our intellect. So what is a stronghold? How do, what, what does that mean? If we're waging spiritual warfare, the Bible says that, that we, are, we, are to, we, are to, we are to cast down uh, we're, we're to pull it, pull down strongholds, casting down imaginations. All right. So, what does the Bible here say that a stronghold is? Well, people have all kinds of weird ideas about strongholds. We've all been around the charismatic, spirit-filled people a long time, and I've heard lots of weird things about strongholds. What they are, where they are, how to do it. I mean, you know, we're going we're gonna to drive around Lubbock and we're going to bind all the demons and break down all the strongholds in the city. Yes, we are. And we drive around. You know. Would that really work? Well, I think it would. Whoa, 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 whoa. Can you find it in the Bible? If that really would work, do you, don't you think Jesus might have done that around Jerusalem? He, didn't, he never did that. Paul didn't do it around Athens, and they had all kinds of strongholds there. So maybe that's not exactly what a stronghold is. Maybe that's, maybe that's not it. I mean, strongholds here that it's referring to are imaginations and thoughts. Strongholds. What, what, what is an imagination? Well, um, an imagination is an image or a picture. In the mind. It's an, it's an image that we have. Strongholds are imaginations. Thoughts and imaginations are strongholds. These, these particular strongholds are, are imaginations and thoughts and images that contradict the word and are allowed to be replayed over and over and over again, building, the word stronghold literally means castle or fortress, building a fortress in my mind, one thought 
at a time until I build a fort with it in my mind. Okay, so that, that's the stronghold. Have you ever replayed a thought over and over again? You know, they made me mad. They made me so mad. I am so mad at them. I, they, I'm so mad at them. I'm never going to talk to them. Somebody comes up to you and says, well, what do you think about what, what uh, Alice did to you? I am so mad. And you replay the whole thing again and again. I, my friend Larry Lee used to say, you nurse it, you rehearse it, and you curse it. Then what you need to do is reverse it. But you build it up over and over in your mind. All right, They become our reality, and eventually we become them. Because that's how we have allowed them to be in our minds. We can build strongholds that are good, and we can build strongholds that are that are that are that are evil. So how do we resist? What do we do to resist them? The Bible says in Matthew chapter thirteen nineteen, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was been sown in his heart. This is he which received the seed by the wayside. The devil. First of all, you got to realize the devil is intent on stealing the word from you. He is intent on it. It says here in Matthew, it says that, that, that we, if you understand it not. In other words, we've got to stay with the word long enough to get revelation from the word so faith can be in our hearts. We have to have this revelation. We must hear it and hear it and hear it. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before also before my Father which is in heaven. Whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. The word confess here, the Greek word is homologeo. It means to say the same thing as, to agree with and say it out loud. So Jesus here said, whoever will agree with me and say it out loud, I will agree with them and say it before the Father. This is, there's some power in saying what Jesus said, saying what the Bible says. The word deny, literally look at the root of that word, it literally means to not say. Jesus said, whoever will not say what I say, then I will not say what they didn't say before the Father. Heavenly help comes as we say what God says. Supernatural help from heaven comes as we agree with God and say it out loud in spite of the circumstance in front of us. That's agreement. This is how I feel, but this is what I know. My emotions say that I am angry, I am mad at them, they're wicked, I'm never going to talk to them again. That's what my emotions say, but here's what I'm going to say with my mouth. I forgive them. I do not know all the facts here. I forgive them. Isn't this good? So we, ha we want that. The only way to agree with God is to say what he says in the face of this attack that comes from the devil. What did God say? What should Eve have said? When he said, has God said, she should have said, yes, and get out of here. She could have done that, and he would have had to flee from her. All right. In order for us to fight this fight of faith, we have to learn to say what he says. And if we'll say what he says, we can win the fight of faith. We've got to learn to say it. We've got to, because it's a faith fight. It's not a fist fight. We, we fight it with the word of God coming out of our mouth in resistance to deception of the devil's lie. 
So what does that tell me? That tells me I need to be convinced of the Bible. I need to be convinced of what God says. I've got to take time with it, and I've got to know it. And, and people say it all the time. Well, you know, you went to Bible college. You know what? They didn't teach me that much in Bible college. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I learned some things, but I learned. I already knew a lot of it when I got there. Not that I'm that smart, but you got to spend time in the Word. And as we spend time in the Word, this is what we do. In order to do what I'm talking about doing, we must have our mind renewed. We've got to learn how to tear out the things of the world and not be conformed and to be transformed by the Word of God. Here's what the Bible says. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Don't be con The word conformed means to be pressed into a mold. To be made just like everybody else. To be transformed means to be changed. Literally to be changed from the inside out into a completely different person. Uh, it has to do with, with uh, uh, metamorphosis, like a butterfly. We must be changed. The Romans 12, 2 is written to Christians, by the way, not to lost people. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. If the word says don't do it, then don't do it. Don't, don't be conformed. Don't do that. And I cannot do it if the Bible says I don't need to do it. I need to pay attention. All right? So he gives me the power to do what he says. The enemy puts pressure on us to conform to society, to the world system. I mean, he starts when we were children. He started putting pressure on us to conform. He, just conform. Just do it. You know, when you were a kid, chicken. Are you a chicken? You know, uh why don't you do it? Are you too good to do it with us? Chicken, chicken. Pressure. Pressure. It still happens today. There's pressure. There's pressure. You don't want to say anything that's politically incorrect because you don't want the pressure of, that, of, that, uh, uh, of the world that's around you. You don't want to say any word that might offend somebody and, and one of their, uh, you know, microaggression system things pop up and now they've got to go and hide away for three months because of what you just said. <laughs> well, this pressure, isn't it? There's pressure everywhere to conform, to conform, to conform. The news media is working hard yeah. to make you conform, to conform, to conform. The news media is saying the truckers in Canada, they were, they were a threat to the nation. They were a threat to the, to, the, to the whole system. And so they had to send out the police because they were, and, and, to, and, to, and to forcefully, brutally take them away because they were, they were in opposition to peace and decency and democracy. And to conform to conform the way you think, to conform what you want. The Bible says we're not supposed to be conformed. We must be transformed by the renewing of our mind. When we got born again, our spirit man became new. Do you know your spirit man didn't have to get saved? It just had to get born again. It had to come to life because he was dead. And so your spirit man came to life, and it became perfect and whole, altogether righteous because of the blood of Jesus. But your body didn't. Your mind didn't. So we have to have our mind renewed. Now, when we got born again, we all of a sudden have the power to resist temptation. We have the power to, to stand against the devil. We're no longer our victims, and we have the greater one living on the inside of us so we can resist him. So we have, well, there's something that we're doing because we're born again. All right. So we, we have to understand our mind 
is an important part of all that we're talking about here. What we see with our minds is vital. What do you see with your mind? Here's what the scripture says, 2 Corinthians 3.14. But their minds were blinded until, for until this day, this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which, which veil is done away in Christ. He's saying the children of Israel, their minds were blinded. Moses had to wear a veil over his face. He said their minds were blinded. They, they, had, they were veiled because their minds were blinded. Not their eyes. Their eyes weren't blinded. Their minds were blinded. Okay? They were unable to see with their mind. Their minds were blinded. We can close our eyes tonight and we can still see with our minds. Can't we? You can close your eyes and you can see what happened at that birthday party when you were seven years old. If you can remember that far back. You can remember. You can remember that guy cutting you off on the loop yesterday. And how you'd still like to catch up with him and slit his tires. <laughs> or you can see yesterday when you were at, 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 at the grocery store. And that sweet little lady was checking you out. And she was so nice. And she wanted, and she said at the end of the conversation, she said, she said, bless you. And you knew that she meant it. And you received the blessing. You, you can see that still. You can see what happened today. Actually, if you close your minds, I mean, close your eyes right now, you can still see this room and who's here and what's going on here, can't you? You can see with your eyes shut. You can see with your eyes closed. You can see, even better than that, you can see God's promise for the future, can't you? Think about it. Close your eyes and you can see stepping into heaven one day. Seeing all of your loved ones, but most of all, there's Jesus. His hand is extended to you. He lifts you up and hugs on you. And you can see that with your eyes closed, can't you? You can see. When your eyes are closed, you can see a lot of things. You can see things. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.18, While we look not at things which are seen... How do we look if, we're, if, we, if we can't see it? We're looking with our mind. We're looking with our eyes closed. It says we look at, but, but we look at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We can see something if we learn how to see correctly. We can look at things that are not seen. The things seen with the mind last a whole lot longer than things you see with your eyes. In fact, they last into eternity. What we see with our eyes is temporary. Except for you people here. Everything else is temporary. It's not going to be here forever. What we see with our mind is eternal if we're looking at the right thing. Now, we're talking about something very important here that most Christians have no concept of. We have to learn to see right. What we can see with our eyes can and will change. It will change. Have you ever gone back to the neighborhood you grew up in? It's changed, hasn't it? If it's still there, I mean, the trees are bigger now. I mean, it's more run down now. I mean, it just depends on where you grew up. But, but we, we can see it, things change. If, here's, here's something. The devil's always saying, you know, well, it, it, things will never change. The devil, the things will never change in this country. They will never change. Well, they've already changed. I mean, they've, they've changed a lot. And if they could change to get here, they can change to get back. Things can change. 
If it's here, it'll change. But what we need to learn how to do is shut our eyes and ask the Lord to allow us to see what he sees. What do you see? What do you see, Father? What do you see about this situation? What do you see about... This is a good one. What do you see, Father, about this disagreement I've had with my wife? What do you see? Wouldn't that be an easy way to get over an argument? What do you see? Let me step away from what I see. What do you see? He's going to say something like, here's what I see. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's probably what he sees. Yes, sir. I I can see that. I can see that it always goes better when that's what I'm doing. Because we've got to see what he sees. If we close our eyes, (laughs) it'll be the beginning of seeing with our eyes open later on if we'll do it long enough and often enough. Just closing our eyes. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17 says, Now the Lord is that spirit where the spirit that's talking about, I just we read the other verse about them not being able to see when Moses was, was reading the scriptures. Talking about the scriptures here. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, that's talking about the word of God, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. As we gaze into it. It's not talking about physical gazing. It's talking about with our eyes closed. We have to read it, of course, with our eyes open. But now we get it inside of us and we begin to see it on the inside of us. We're literally gazing into the glory of the Lord. When we see the truth that the Spirit shows us, we'll be free. That's what the Scripture says. There's liberty. We know that Jesus said that we'll know the truth. And the truth we know will make us free. Because we're gazing at the truth. Gazing at the truth. We'll see what he's showing. The picture. He'll give us the picture. Man, get the, we need to get the picture. How is this going to turn out? How, ultimately, we win no matter what happens between the Russians and the Ukrainians. No matter what happens at the White House. Ultimately, you and I win. Didn't mean that everything's going to be easy all the time, but it does mean we are going to win. We're going to have what God promises us. We need to begin seeing the eternal and not the temporary. How much time a day do you spend gazing at the eternal? I think we need to spend more time gazing there. See, we need to see the outcome of of what God has called us. If we just begin to see Him, we're going to see his promise come to pass. We're going to see what he has said. We, it'll be like it'll be like you were an NBA player, and you close your eyes and you could see nothing but net. And you go out there and you shoot it, and it's nothing but net, because you eventually you eventually get changed by what you see with your minds. The enemy is, the enemy has always tried to make us see failures, doesn't he? He always wants you to see what's wrong with you, what's wrong with everybody else, what's wrong around you. He has tried to get the wrong image into our minds from the day we can think right. Always getting the wrong image into our mind. He puts worry in there. Worry is an image, right? You get this image of worry. I mean, looking at the wrong thing. 
If we're worried, we're looking at the wrong thing. Worry is dangerous because what worry does is it feeds fear. It feeds it. I mean, you want fear to get strong? Worry because it'll feed the fear. What we must learn to do is see the miracle outcome that God's Word testifies about. And we need to see when we close our eyes. We learn to learn how to do it over and over and over long enough for it to make a, dis- a difference in our lives. Eventually, as you're looking with your eyes closed and seeing it, you don't, have to, you don't literally have to close your eyes, but you just need to see it and see it. For me, it works in my backyard when nobody's home, and I sit back there and I just think about what God said. And I begin to see it. I begin to see it. Eventually, the Lord will show you the details about it. You begin to see it. And then you can see it with your eyes open as it comes to pass because God has shown it to you. And that's what needs to happen. He, he does it. We don't have to feel sorry for ourselves. I mean, what, we need to fo- that's focusing on the enemy's plan. Focus on what God has said. We'll be transformed into a different person. I'm not trying to hype you here. That's what the Bible talks about. If we're looking at the right thing, there'll be freedom There'll be liberty. If we look at the right thing, there'll be peace, according to Isaiah 26.3. We were told that several weeks ago. If we're worried and anxious, we're looking at the wrong thing. The scripture we just read says we're changed from glory to glory. We're changed from glory to glory. That is the transformation. It's talking about having your mind renewed. It happens when we look at the right thing. Looking at what the Word says. Man, when your eyes... When you look at the gazing at the word, you're looking at it, you begin to see glory. The glory of God. The glory of what he's promised you. I mean, we begin to see glory. I mean, look in the Gospels. Just gaze at the Gospels for just a minute. You begin to look at the Gospels. God became a man. Isn't that something? That's glory right there. That he would leave heaven, put on a human man form, be a man. Never sin, yet he died for the sins of every man. Who he went to the cross, he died, he was buried, and rose again on the third day. He's in heaven now. They're preparing our mansions for us in heaven, and he is coming again. And we're going to meet him in the air. What glory will that be if we just begin to look at the right thing? I mean, and then, in the meantime, he sent the Holy Spirit, and he's filled us. I mean, you and I have more information available to us than any computer on the planet, because the Holy Spirit literally knows it all. If we just tap into it, he will tell us exactly what we need to know. Man. Okay, I need to finish here. Mm. Let me just say. We, get, we have to get the image. We have to get the picture in front of us. We, we have to make sure we're looking at the right things. There has to be a picture. We have to see the right thing. If we'll get the picture of the right thing, then there'll be a performance of the Word of God in our lives. So let me give you a quick example because I know that it's time for us to go. In the book of Genesis, I won't take the time to read it. In the book of Genesis, in chapter 30, there's a story of Jacob. Y'all know who Jacob is, right? He was, the word Jacob means supplanter, trickster. I mean, Jacob was a guy who tricked people. That's what he did. His name was that. He tricked his brother. He tricked people all the time. 
Well, remember he tricked his brother so bad one time that his brother wanted to kill him. You remember, and, and so his mama said, well, don't let him kill you. I need you to go and marry a woman from, from our family so you don't marry these wicked women that are near here. So you go up there and you see, you see my, my, my family and, and they'll fix you up with a good wife that you can marry. So Jacob goes there and he meets this guy named Laban. Y'all remember that story? And so Jacob, he was a, he was a trickster. But Laban was like the master trickster. I mean, he was the one who taught tricksters how to be tricksters. Laban was, was great at tricking people. And so Jacob hooked up with Laban. You know the story, how that Laban, he said, he said, I want to marry Rebecca. I really want her. I mean, Rachel, I want her really bad. I want, I want to marry her. And he says, he says, okay, work for me for seven years and you can marry her. You know the story. He worked for seven years. And the Bible says it went by like a day because he was so much in love with her. Gets to the wedding, has the wedding, goes to the tent, the lights are off, and he gets the ugly one, and he didn't get the right one. I mean, he got Leah. What? Now, that's the meanest trick you can think of. And so Laban says, oh, well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> you got to be with this one for a week, but after that's up, then I'll give you the other one, but you got to work for me seven more years. Fourteen years just to get the guy's daughter 14 years. The Bible says that Laban tricked him 10 times by changing his wages. 10 times. Apparently, the trickster Jacob never read the fine print here. He never knew exactly what was going to happen in the end. He changed it all the time. So apparently, Jacob prays. I don't know if he did. I can't remember if it says he did. But he, he prays. And he gets this vision from, he got had a dream, and he got this, got this, got this dream of, of spotted and striped animals. You remember that story? And he got this, he got this deal. So he goes to Laban, and he has, he, has, he has the biggest trick yet to get on Laban. But this one seems to be from God. And he was tricked by Laban all this time. And so he showed him about these striped things. Now, Laban doesn't want Jacob to go because he knows he's blessed because Jacob is there. And so, so Jacob, says, Jacob says, okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I, I, I'm going to work for you for some more, and, but you don't have to pay me anything. All, all we're going to do is I'm going to go through your flocks, and I'm going to take out all the striped cattle, all the striped sheep, all the brown sheep, all the spotted sheep, spotted cows, and those are going to be mine, and the rest will be yours. And Laban's thinking, no, that's a good deal because I don't have very many of them. And so Jacob takes the, the spotted sheep, and he, now he's taking care of Laban's sheep, and he's taking care of his sheep. So now he t- when he goes to have, when they go to the water feeding trough and the water trough to be fed and, 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 and to mate, he had this vision of he put striped sticks in front of them. He put spotted sticks in front of them. When they mated, they would have striped and spotted babies. So these cows go, the sheep go, and, and, and then, then, he, then he figured out, if I'll get me a strong bull mm-hmm, and a strong cow, and I'm going to put... I'm going to put the stripes and spots in front of them, and now I'm going to be a strong calf or whatever. I'm going to be a strong one. But if i got a weak one here and a weak one there, no, I'm not putting my sticks out for them. I don't want that, that offspring. So eventually, Jacob had all these striped and spotted cows and sheep and goats. He had all of them, and Laban had all the weak ones that were solid and nice colors. I mean, they, they became... What they saw, every day they saw stripes and spots. Every day they saw it. They became what they saw. That's what we've been talking about so far tonight. When we close our eyes, we look at the right thing, we become what we see. 
We become what we continually see. That's why we must train our minds to continually look at the right things. These animals became what they saw. They became exactly that. If God can do that for a cow, He can do that for you. He can do that for me if we'll just look at the right things. We become what we behold. We get a picture and there's a performance. We become what we behold. There's a connection between what we see all the time and what we become, what we think is what that's talking about. One more passage of scripture, I think, and then I'm going to be done. James chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Now listen to this next part. But every man is tempted and drawn away by the devil. No, no. Of his own lust. He is drawn away by what he sees. The images, the thoughts, he's drawn away by his, by, by his own lusts. Man, that's, that's, that tells you, and entice. The devil entices, but we're the ones who have lust. The word, the word lust uh, is a strong desire for anything that we know is wrong. Okay? It says, but every man is tempted with drawn away his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So God didn't, doesn't tempt us, the temptation of the devil. We have to learn how to resist him. All right? This lust is a strong desire. If you think that doesn't, isn't right, did you watch the Super Bowl a few, what was it, two weeks ago? Seven million dollars for 30 seconds of your mind. 30 seconds because they understand that if you saw one that you liked, you talked about it. And you talked about it to your friends, to your neighbors, to work associates. You talked about it. And if you'll talk about it long enough, there's a good chance you go, you, you've already seen yourself buying it. And you're going to go buy that. How about that? Did you, I mean, that has to, that's why they spend $7 million. They believe this works. We're drawn away by our own lust, by our own thinking. Just watch you watch a basketball game that is sponsored by KFC. I mean, just watch it. You watch it and you see KFC. You watch it, you see KFC. You watch it, and I'm gonna tell you something. If you watch it and think about KFC enough, you're gonna find yourself at KFC. And you'll be getting some chicken at KFC. Because that's what happens. Right? Eve would have never received the temptation if she wasn't out there looking at it. Looking and looking, she needed to see something else. That's why some people don't need to go to the mall. Because they go to the mall and they see it and they touch it and they know that they don't really need to spend any more money, but surely we can, you know, pay for this. Or, and they just didn't need to go to the mall in the first place, but they're there and they're being tempted. We understand sin is a violation of light and knowledge. If we look at it long enough, we become what it is, just like Jacob's cows. I mean, if you keep looking, the desires get stirred up, and you do it. There's the picture, and there's the performance. You become what you behold. 
in, on the inside. If you behold the bad things all the time, that's what happens. If, if it's the Word, you see it. You become what the Word promises. We must feed on what the Word says. Then we'll conceive it on the inside. It'll become visible on the outside. Everyone will see it. That's true with our marriages. It's true with our money. It's true with, 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 with our children. I mean, if we just look at what God said, look at what He said. So we've got to hang around with the right people. We've got to listen to the right things. I mean, we've got we to we stop listening to people that are, that are speaking the wrong things. I mean, isn't it amazing? God could pay your taxes just by sending you fishing. That's what he did to Peter. If you just listen and you just see the right things. We produce what we see. We do what we see. And we need to take that principle. We become what we behold. With our eyes closed, we see the promise. We need to behold the promise. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, tonight, I thank you for your promise. I thank you that your word is absolutely sure. Your word is more true than any circumstance that we behold. Your word is what's true. So tonight, I praise you. I thank you for the word. We become what we behold. In Jesus' name, amen.